you're thinking, what's the new equation? It's about building trust and delivering sustained outcomes that make change for today and tomorrow. Welcome to our Women in Leadership podcast and podcast series sponsored by PwC. I'm Haley Wooden, Executive Editor of Business in Vancouver, and we're broadcasting today from the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. It's my pleasure to host this three-episode series. It features inspiring female leaders from different backgrounds and sectors on topics that are important to all of us, leadership and mentorship, ESG, and EDI. And across the series, our guests will be in conversation with me and experts from PwC. Episodes run March 8th to 10th around, of course, International Women's Day on March 8th. And today's episode takes a look at leadership and ESG. Today's episode takes a look at leadership and ESG. I'm joined by Shelley Gilberg, a partner at PwC Canada and the firm's Canada leader in ESG markets and consulting. Shelley, great to have you join us. Thanks for coming on board. Thanks so much, Haley. And we're pleased to have Jennifer Coulson joining us as well. Jennifer is Senior Managing Director of ESG at BCI, which provides investment management services to British Columbia's public sector and has $199.6 billion of managed assets. Thank you so much for joining us, Jennifer. Happy to be here. Thanks, Haley. Why don't we start with you? You've been at BCI for, I think, a little over a decade now. Can you tell us a little bit about the work you do and the work that BCI does? Um, sure. Well, BCI is a dedicated asset manager, um, largely for the, the public uh, sector pension plans uh, in the province. So as you said, uh, pretty close to, to $200 billion in assets under management. So everything from equities to fixed income to private equity to infrastructure. Um, and of course, we have a uh, real estate um, subsidiary uh, as well, Quadreal. Uh, headquartered in uh, in Vancouver. And so I lead a, a team of ESG professionals here. Uh, there are eight of us. Uh, and, and we work primarily with uh, the, the public uh, side of the business. Um, so that includes equities and fixed income. Um, but I also chair a corporate uh, ESG working group, um, which has representatives uh, across all of our asset classes so that we, you know, really uh, have a consistent approach um, to ESG integration, uh, as well as all of our, our ESG work. Um, so that's it in a, in a nutshell. And I'm looking forward to hearing your insights on the ESG space and how that's evolved. But first, really quickly, Jennifer, why ESG as opposed to another area or another kind of investing? Yeah, I, I think I was in the right place at the right time, um, to be honest. Uh, I, I was actually heading for a career more in the nonprofit sector, um, you know, in the in the 1990s, um, decided to, to go back to school, um, do a graduate degree um, in, in environmental studies. And, and when I finished that degree, um, saw a job posting uh, for, you know, what we would call sustainable investing or responsible investing now. Um, but it was, you know, with one of the pioneers um, in Canada in the, in the retail industry. And I did not know that this kind of job existed. <laughs> so when I read the, the job description, I just thought this is 
perfect for me because I can use my background in, in social sciences, but apply it in a very practical, you know, business oriented sense. Um, so I really liked that combination of the, the social sciences com combined with, you know, the practicality of business. Um, so it just felt like a really great fit for me. And I mean, I'm just so grateful that, you know, I actually got that job that, that I applied to, uh, you know, over 20 years ago. Um, and, and here I am, you know, 20 years later, like still just so passionate about this work. Shelley, I'd love to hear from you on this point as well. I mean, you're country leader for PwC Canada when it comes to ESG markets and consulting. For you, why ESG? I came to it uh, later in life than Jennifer, uh, for one thing, <laughs> and, uh, and through a little bit of a different path. Working on the West Coast, so I, li I live in British Columbia as well, I had the opportunity to work with, we've had a sustainability and climate change team in PwC for 20 years. And initially, a lot of the work that we were doing, I would say, is, was, would be with directors of sustainability or people responsible for reporting. And, and what was really interesting to me was there wasn't a lot of linkage to the rest of the organization. I, I wouldn't say in the client conversations we were having, if I was to go chat with the, the CFO instead, he would say, yeah, that person over there does, does that. That doesn't really have anything to do with me. Or the chief operating officer, yeah, we put out a report. Have you ever seen it? I'm like, yeah, but, but what, what do you have to do with that? And so for me, it was, it was probably two things because uh, a little bit like Jennifer. So I asked for this role um, and I wanted to do it, but for two reasons. One is listening to people describe ESG as a cost or a compliance exercise versus really sort of understanding it as an integral set of risks and opportunities for organizations, I thought was a gap. And the second basket of clients I would say we had were folks that were trailblazing and purpose-led, but did not have a plan underneath that for how they were going to tie all this together. And the intellectual challenge of helping clients take it from being something that they think is good to do or nice to do and saying it actually has to be part of everything in order for it to both sort of protect and preserve value and, and keep an eye on risk, but also... Um, actually get at the opportunities that are coming was, was to me really exciting. That that challenge of putting those things together um, was something that a, a, appealed to me. And you described me as an expert at the beginning, and I would say Jennifer's an expert. Um, I'm sort of the applied expertise side of ESG, of helping clients knit all of that together so that their employees believe what they're doing makes sense. Their investors agree that the things that they're focused on and measuring make sense their customers and their clients agree that what they're doing and how they're going about it and their products and services make sense. So it's, um, for me, just fantastic integration of all of the things that kind of make up my background. And Shelly, you mentioned that ESG at one point in time was maybe thought of its own department in its own silo, and it wasn't spread out or even thought of across an organization. Is that changing now? I think it's changing really rapidly. Um, and I would say the last the last 18 to 24 months, definitely. Um, Jennifer may laugh when I say this, but the number of people that two years ago would say, you know, ESG is non-financial measures. There is an enormous shift in the boardroom, um, both board and executive teams to understand that it is actually financial, um, both in terms of risk and opportunity. And that brings a whole different cast of characters to the conversation about how do you tap into the opportunity and how do you understand 
the, the risks that you're facing, whether those are risks to retaining customers, whether those are risks in terms of increased cost of capital, attracting talent. Um, the conversations change dramatically, Haley, um, in a very short period of time. Yeah, and, and yeah, Haley, if I can, yeah, just to to uh, to compare that as well, and to, you know, to the investor side, because it, that integration is happening at on the corporate side, and the same thing is happening on the investor side, where you know maybe you had one or two people that focused on ESG. Um, you could kind of tick a tick a few boxes in in terms of your you know ESG integration approach um, to the point now where you know the the teams are growing. Um, they they are becoming larger, but they're also um, changing where they're sitting in the organization. Um, so very similar to what Shelley was saying. I mean, these are these are not distinct teams that are you know hiding in the basement anymore. Uh, they're really central and working directly with the investment teams um, and and potentially managing money themselves um, with with very specific mandates. So there, that similar shift has also happened within uh, within the finance world. Yeah, it's very interesting to sort of think of ESG as everything but the finances at one point in time and now looking at it much more, I guess, holistically, you might say. Jennifer, what are some of the conversations you and your team are having today within BCI about maybe how you frame ESG or how you look at it a bit differently? Yeah, sure. And, you know, if I compare it to where we were you know, let's let's call it 10 years ago where, you know, again, companies thought of it very much through a corporate social responsibility type of lens. Um, you know, what kind of philanthropy are we doing? What kind of employee programs do we have? And it was all about, you know, putting your best foot forward, right? Um, so so it was almost almost a promotional exercise in, in some ways, certainly a, a marketing, uh, a marketing initiative. You know, whereas now, like the conversations that we have both internally, but also with companies in our portfolio, it's much more centered on, you know, how are you using ESG to really drive value in your organization, right? So it's, again, it's, it's central to the business strategy, and you really want to be focused on those things that are connected to, to how you're going to accomplish um, your your kind of conventional business goals um, because it it has become so central um, to to success uh, for so many companies so so it really has shifted um, quite a bit uh, from this very broad set of, of issues and topics to what is really material to your business and how does that help you drive value yeah, Shelley, if, if I can put it this way, it almost sounds like ESG is becoming, to use Jennifer's words, more value-based, but maybe more sincere and impactful. It's not just something that you say because everybody's talking about it. It sounds like it's much more integrated, but much more tied, as Jennifer was saying, to the values of a company and an overall business model, even. Um, what do you think's behind some of those changes from your seat at PwC, where I'm sure you're engaging with leaders across a number of sectors on this? We we are indeed, and, and I'll say something negative first, I'll warn you, and then I'll follow up with something positive is, I think it's becoming more integrated, but I, but I wouldn't downplay. There's a lot of people that are still saying things to get credit um, and, and jumping on a bandwagon. I think there's there's some leaders who are really integrating this well, but you know, a, a portion of the time that I spend is 
we have people that have you know made announcements or set targets and are but didn't actually have an action plan for how they were going to get there. So I think what's driving the sincerity for those that are out ahead is they're actually seeing the returns in terms of the value they're creating. They are growing, they're getting new customers or clients. They're able to grow their business. They're able to introduce new products and services that people want to pay a premium for because they're responsible. Like they're actually seeing it come full circle that they're doing good, but they're doing well as a result of doing good. I still think there's a tranche, Haley, to be honest, of, of people that are either a little bit skeptical or they think it's about what they say, because th- that's sort of what the market can reward right now, because there isn't sort of the level of consistency of reporting standardization. So the, the negative is, I, you know, we still see people chasing bumps in stock price with announcements that that happens in the market. But I think if I say, where do you put your attention and, and keep your eye on is the people that are building trust at every step. They're saying, I don't know how to set this target yet, but I'm going to work on it for the next year. And here's what I'm doing. Um, that sort of thinking about it is how do you bridge a trust gap when you look at what the trust levels are in institutions in governments and in business right now, that has to be sort of point number one. And that's what I hear with the organizations that we work with that I think are, are truly being sincere and trying to figure out how do I have healthy enterprise value and healthy values together that keep my shareholders, my stakeholders, my customers, my employees lined up. I think they're, I think they're doing it well. And they, they would be the ones that I would sort of say, that's the, that's the pattern to emulate. You're thinking, what's the new equation? It's about building trust and delivering sustained outcomes that make change for today and tomorrow. Great point. And Jennifer, maybe in the term of patterns to emulate, looking at BCI as a leader on this front, what are some best practices you can share for how you look at the environmental, the social, and the governance? Um, yeah, and, and we do span, um, you know, all of the, the different buckets. And I, I would say really what uh, is on investors' minds right now in terms of those buckets. Um, I mean, for E, it's absolutely climate change. Um, investors have to be seen as playing a role um, in, in combating climate change. Uh, if, if we're going to meet, you know, the, the aspirational target um, that, that we've all set for ourselves for, for 2050. Um, so climate change in particular, you know, there's gotta be, there's gotta be a strategy there, right? And, and you have to, you have to be seen to be contributing um, and, and funding that, uh, that the transition to, to net zero. Um, on social, I think, you know, human capital is on everyone's mind, uh, especially in the context of, you know, hopefully recovering uh, from, from this pandemic. Um, you know, human capital has, has really touched everybody. So I think we can all relate. And, and I think companies are, are looking at human capital differently um, after, after going through COVID, right? It really is more about capital and how you invest in your people. It's, it's not just about labor, um, anymore. Um, and then on the G side, I mean, I would certainly highlight diversity, um, and inclusion. Uh, investors have been, uh, quite, quite vocal on this front. Um, and, you know, it goes to, it goes to the heart of how decisions are made, right? 
And if you have a diverse group of people around the table with different perspectives, uh, you are just going to, to have better decisions, right? So as an investor, you know, we look at the academic evidence that, that shows that uh, and want to see that diversity uh, reflected uh, in the companies that, that we invest in. So I would say those would be the topics that would be probably top of mind um, for the investment community right now. And I appreciate you mentioning how COVID has maybe impacted some of the conversations happening, particularly around the SPs. Shelley, how have you seen COVID affect your work and the conversations you are taking part in around ESG? COVID has been a, a dramatic accelerator, I think, on a whole bunch of fronts, Haley. And I'm watching Jennifer nod. It's, I think Jen, Jennifer said it really well. You used to have sort of the sustainability conversation happening in, you know, I won't say a basement office, but a, a relatively small self-contained team. And you know, that pervading sort of much more broadly through the organization has changed. But the other thing I think that COVID's done is it has really... I call it this concept of sort of aligning value and values. COVID put a bright light on lots of things, societally and, and for, for individuals, that I think what one of the things that you're seeing through COVID is the idea that values and value have to actually come together has changed the conversation around ESG. If I, if I think about the kind of work we're doing, we may have been helping with, what do you set for KPIs? What do you measure? How do you sort of report out on that? throughout COVID, that's changed to how do you set strategy? What do you need to do in terms of your supply chain? And helping our clients look at their stakeholders actually as part of the solution. You don't have to figure it out by yourself. How do you have a conversation with your customers to understand what matters to them? What do your investors and your lenders care about? What does the regulator care about if they're part? The communities you operate in, your employees, your suppliers, it's, I think, made it a much more comprehensive conversation, which is which is a bit daunting for, for some clients, to be honest. Like, it's a big endeavor to figure out how do you weave this through your organization, but it's also made it much more real. And in some regards, it's it's de-risked. If you ask your customers what they care about and what, they're, what matters to them and what they're prepared to pay for, and that's part of the plan, and your investors are confident that your customers like the plan and your employees have been part of engaging in what are you going to do? that takes the mystery out. It's not a big bet anymore. You've actually sort of taken those groups and woven them together. I think for me that that's been, if COVID was a negative thing on a lot of fronts, that's been a really positive part of COVID is that this idea around values has really sort of come to the center. Yeah, Jennifer, I was watching you nod along, I think with almost every word that Shelly just said there. Are you seeing the same thing, the importance and value placed on really community and stakeholder engagement? Absolutely. And I would agree that that COVID has accelerated um, the, the ESG space. Um, I mean, demand is very high. Um, and you just look at, you know, something like the, the sustainable bond market, uh, we, we surpassed uh, $1 trillion last year uh, in sustainable bond issuances. Uh, and, you know, it's set to, to hit $1.5 trillion uh, in, in 2022. So it doesn't really show any, you know, sign of things slowing down. Um, and I, I think, I mean, I think there's a, a number of dynamics at play. But if you think about um, how many times we heard about resilience, right, in, in the pandemic. Um, it, this is what companies had to really struggle with is, is resilience um, and, and within a system, 
right? Recognizing that, you know, supply chains are being disrupted, their labor force was disrupted, all of these disruptions going on. And I think there's a lot of parallels there to to what we try to do in ESG. I mean, that that's the way I think about ESG anyway. It's it's really about making sure your business is resilient, um, you know, in in the future and going forward. So I just feel like there's a lot of dots that are being connected um, that really point uh, us in a in a positive uh, a direction. Um, and I think as as Shelley said very well, you know, all stakeholders can can be happy with that, right? Because uh, we are an investor at, at the end of the day and and we need those those returns um, as a as a shareholder but the way to do that is to make sure that all of your stakeholders are 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 pleased i'll stick with you for a moment jennifer in, in your view what does true leadership around esg look like it was a bit of a theme earlier talking about people maybe being reactive or responsive or feeling like they're going through the motions and they're saying the things they should say. But for the companies, the investors, the organizations that are truly leading, what does that involve? Yeah, I mean, it is a great question. And I think it's being redefined, um, you know, almost daily <laughs> as the as the bar uh, continues to, to raise. Um, but I, I would underscore you know, that genuine commitment um, that we talked about earlier. I do think there is still a lot of cynicism, um, especially directed at, at the, the financial um, industry in, in many ways. Um, and so there, there is going to be a cynicism until investors can show those proof points. Um, that they are actually contributing um, to solutions, right? And I and I think about some of our you know leadership work within the industry, um, you know, as as chair of the investor group of the Thirty Percent Club of Canada, which is really promoting you know diversity on on boards and in senior management, um, and and we have pretty much eliminated uh, all male boards uh, in in Canada. Uh, or I should say on the on the TSX composite, um, certainly not amongst the smaller companies. Um, but you know, ten years ago there was 115 uh, all male boards uh, on the composite. So that's to me that's that's a real proof point um, that you know we've put out a genuine commitment. We're transparent about how we go about achieving that commitment, and then we have the proof point. Um, to actually point to, not that we are totally doing it ourselves, that there's a lot of people involved in that conversation, but we were a part of it, right? And we helped push it forward. So I, I think it is this, this connection between what you say and what you do, but then also having those proof points uh, that, that really show people the tangible outcome the, of what you do. And Shelly, I'll come to you on this as well. I mean, in your view, what does leadership on this look like? I feel like I, I might be repeating myself because I think I said this earlier, but I, I think leadership looks like literally creating trust at every step of this. It's engaging your stakeholders. It is looking at risks and opportunities in the same way that you would think about other risks and opportunities. You know, ESG risks should be part of enterprise risk management. ESG opportunities should be part of corporate strategy. It's looking at the priorities that your stakeholders have laid out and, and being ruthless about applying a business lens to it. Why are we doing it? What are we doing? 
When are we going to get the benefits? How are we going to be able to measure like the same muscles that we would use for any other kind of investment or initiative? Uh, I, th- I think that's leadership and and being honest about the things you don't know. Back to Jennifer's last point, if, if I think about an example recently, I was sitting down with a large Canadian company that is in a very difficult to abate industry. And most of their competitors have you know come out and said, we're going to figure out how to do this by 2030. And they didn't because for them, they're the largest employer in most of the communities they work in. And they said, Shelly, we don't like, we don't know what it costs. We actually haven't seen the technology at scale that would let us say we could do it by 2030. And so working through that conversation with them, the reason I highlight them is I think they're an example of how do you be a leader in that space is there's not an obvious path for them of how do you not use coal? It's it's not at scale. The technology and the infrastructure aren't there. But what they're saying is we are still going to focus on the S in terms of the communities we serve and our employees. We're not saying we don't want to get there. We're saying we actually don't understand the path to get there, which gives them a different level of trust with their investors, their employees, and their communities. That uh, I think it's sort of a good object lesson in terms of if you think about Jennifer's point of what do you say, what are you doing, how do you back that up with investor-grade reporting about what you're doing, and then the proof points of it, that's not a one-step journey. Right? And, and I think that's the part that, that, that people need to embrace in terms of leadership is you're better off to develop trust at every step than to try and figure out how to drive the car in reverse through an obstacle course and sort of back up on what you've said. And, and I think the leaders that we're seeing have done a really good job of building that trust at every step and doing that with their stakeholders and being transparent and then supporting that with the kind of reporting and disclosure that um, gives people confidence. Considering that journey in the couple minutes we have left, Jennifer, I'd like to hear what you're going to be focusing on and looking for and monitoring in the months or perhaps years ahead. It's been such a tumultuous time from a COVID perspective, but there have also been important social and cultural movements that have stemmed from crises. And we're also dealing with a climate crisis, which sort of gets us the E, the S and the G. What are you going to be watching for? Um, yeah, another another great question. And, you know, in terms of, of where things are heading, I mean, we, we are in a place now where we have focused quite a bit on reporting and disclosure. And it, that will continue. Um, but I feel like we're at a pretty good place where we can say, okay, we, we, have, we have data to work with here, right? Um, it, there's still gaps, absolutely. And, and we still need to close those gaps. But we do have enough data to work with. And so I'm seeing a lot more kind of innovation, um, you know, in that how we use the data. Um, So whether that's, you know, building data science teams, um, you know, using more artificial intelligence um, type techniques to really leverage the data. Because there is quite a bit of data out there right now, as our, you know, quant team will attest to. Um, you know, the, the data is getting to a point where it's good enough you can start getting very innovative with how you ingest that data 
and, and how you really leverage it to make better investment decisions. Um, so I, I would say that's one area that, that we should definitely, um, you know, watch pretty closely. Um, and I think, I think, I think we all probably are feeling quite positive um, at, at this point in terms of the trajectory. And I, I would just want to make sure that we some of the momentum um, that we have gained. I mean, we, we are facing a lot of challenges um, just more broadly, um, you know, whether that's, that's conflict um, situations, uh, whether that's, you know, inflation, whether it's, you know, shortage of labor, there's, there's a lot of business challenges ahead. And I, I think, I think we'll get there with this integrated approach. Um, so just being mindful that we don't take um, a step backwards and, and kind of forget um, how ESG really plays into those very core business problems uh, that, that we're going to be dealing with. And Jennifer, to quickly follow up on, on that great final message and insight, just curious about, you mentioned innovation. What do we know about or what are you seeing around the need for investment to make that innovation possible? Yeah, well, I, I think it's no secret that there is a huge gap, um, you know, when we look at, at the commitments that, you know, most governments around the world have made on climate change in particular, and, and how we all want to get to net zero by 2050. Um, but there's been a lot of analysis um, on that gap uh, that, that we have in terms of in, uh, investment. Um, so I, I think one of the, the things that we really try to emphasize, you know, with companies is we really need to invest early, right? I mean, like it's, it's, it's getting too late almost, right? I mean, we need to, we need to be investing in the research and development so that these technologies can really advance at a faster, at a faster pace. And some of that will be government, absolutely. Um, but really the private sector is going to have to, to step up quite a bit here um, and, and try to fill that gap uh, and make sure that that we don't end up feeling, you know, the, the worst damages, um, you know, from climate change because we haven't mitigated, you know, some of the, the risks around climate change because we haven't invested enough um, in the, in the you know, research and development that, that needs to take place. So it's, it's not a, an easy solution and I don't think it's up to any one stakeholder. Uh, it's definitely going to, you know, take a community and, and a village, uh, as they say. Uh, but, but really, we need to see much higher um, investment in some of the technologies that we are going to need going forward. It's a challenge, but it also sounds like a great opportunity, especially for Canada and Canadian companies to position themselves globally on this front. Jennifer, Shelley, thank you all so much for taking the time to join the show. It was great to have your insight. Thank you, Haley. Thanks, Shelley. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks, Haley. Our guests today were Jennifer Colson, Senior Managing Director of ESG at BCI, and Shelley Gilbert, partner with PwC Canada 
She's the firm's Canada leader in ESG markets and consulting. You've been listening to or watching our Women in Leadership podcast and vodcast series sponsored by PwC. Other episodes are available at BIV.com slash audio or BIV.com slash video. I'm Haley Wooden, Executive Editor of Business in Vancouver. Thanks so much for joining us. You can find other episodes of this series at BIV.com and I encourage you to check those out.